Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hello to everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited about this conversation. The person that we're interviewing today is a dear friend and somebody that I've worked with over the years. He is a mega influencer, a visionary, a leader, a founder, a four-time founder of Impact Organization, an author of a wonderful book that we'll talk about later, a speaker, a blogger, and a family man. He must have some kind of superpower because I don't know how he gets it all done. I truly don't understand, but that's why we're here to talk to him. Hopefully he can shed some light on how he manages his day, but not only that, but how he creates community and impact through his work. He's a social entrepreneur who dedicates his life to inspiring leaders and crafting a better and more just world. On top of that, literally, he is a family man with co-parenting in his signature of all emails. Allow me to introduce to you Bart Skarupa. Bart, was it fair for me to say that introduction? And uh, what else have I missed? Very humbling introduction. Uh, (laughs) And the only thing I get about co-parenting is I have an amazing wife, Heather, who helped make that all happen. Co-parent was just a decision. It's used words for couples that are maybe separated. For us, it's just simply trying to balance our professional lives with our personal lives. And so as a new dad, even though making time for purpose-driven work, it's still very important for me for my two girls. So co-parent to me is, is a very important part of my life. So thank you for adding that as well. Well, yeah, I not only added it, I put it at the end, but what I really want to highlight is from my experience with you, it's really at the beginning and it's at the heart of all of what you do. And your family has been so impactful to you as a human and you've perpetuated that with your Know, your nuclear family that you've created. And that's something that I really am inspired by. I know that's not really the topic of conversation is parenting, but just because I think it's such a curious and interesting format, will you share with me an overview of the graph that you have that organizes your day or your week in order to be a co-parent and a founder and doing impact yeah. work in the world? Yeah, so my daughter, Bay, was born six months ago, and in her first month of life, I was listening to a podcast called Motherly, and Anne-Marie Slaughter was a guest talking about, we just don't, as a society, put value into caregiving. And it was three in the morning, I was just walking outside with Bay in my arms, and it just just kind of struck me that I should devote more time to her. I'm a very data-driven individual, so when I made this decision, I plotted out, like, how many waking hours... I had per day and decided this is how much I'm going to spend with family. I'm going to design the rest of my work schedule around that. So it's non-negotiable about family time. So today's Wednesday. It's my family day. This is lunch. Bay's actually taking a nap. Heather's home. So the timing works out perfect. But I just design it where it's, it's about 80%. It's going down a little bit. This decision also allowed Heather to return back to the workforce faster. She's going back to a company she worked at before at a higher level, uh, at a higher position. So it's simply allowing time for and setting a minimum for my family, both the girls, but also Heather as well. It's difficult just in our society that's more patriarchal for, especially at Heather's stage in her career, staying uh, relevant is not the right word. It's, it's, it's like they're, 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 that's where the equity starts to split apart, right? Uh, so that was very important for me to take a step back and from a professional standpoint to allow for my family to shine. 
and for her to step up. Yeah, I love that. It's it's so wonderful when we see men holding their tongue in a, you know, to be respectful of others in the room, women, for them to step up, for them to speak up in a meeting. But I see that with you and your family and wanting to provide for your family and be a leader and have an impact in your work, but also to provide an opportunity and space for her to shine and to step up. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to me, it was probably no accident that I have two daughters, um, <laughs> a two-year-old Haven and a six-month-old Bay. And there's just that, that, I don't know, there was something about it where I was very proud of everything I have done together along with the community. I think one thing just in your introduction, it's like, how do you do it? It's with people like yourself. It's having a supportive wife, a supporting community. And I founded different organizations, but I really don't like the word founder because I always use co-founder. No one is a founder in my mind. Uh, you can have Mark Zuckerberg or that level of like, I'm a founder. It's like, mm, you had three other people started with you. And it, even it's just because there's a technical, right? Like they signed the paperwork and submitted it for their 501c3 nonprofit or venture, but the people that joined right at the beginning to me are equally co-founders. So it's always done with a community of people to support, uh, no matter who had the initial idea. And usually that initial idea kind of sucks and it takes the community to help foment it into something better. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's such a good point that starting something is such an iterative process. And You've talked about that in this book that you wrote recently, and I love it's called Start Something Good. For those of you who are listening or watching, we'll be sure to have that hyperlink where you can buy it or listen to it in Audible. You know, you recorded it yourself. So I would <laughs> I was driving and walking and listening to you and felt like I wanted to stop you and have a conversation because I know you so well and say, wait a second, I want to know more about that. But it was just an audio. I recommend listening to that book. It does give so many tangible and sequence recommendations to how to start something good. Can you speak to that a little bit more, Bart? Like, what would be the place to begin in terms of taking a dream and putting it to paper and then helping the iterative process as you go or creating an iterative process or space for that even? So... First rule for me is always take a bias towards action. It's a design thinking concept that you just got to take that first step. And really quickly on the book, it was essentially an organization I co-founded along with a few other people about 10 years ago, had a slow, but then just an amazing rise. We were raising millions of dollars for social entrepreneurs in areas of extreme poverty. So starting projects in Uganda and, and Cambodia, Ecuador, and then it catastrophically fell apart in about a year and a half and all the lessons that came out of that. And we ended up over our lifetime investing in about 29 different ventures, investing a total of about $8 million across all of those. And in all of those, there was like, what was the smallest thing we can do now? Start small and think big and take a bias towards action. So probably a person that's featured prominently in the book and that we're still very close with, even though the organization's no longer around, is Peter Luswada, who was born in Uganda in an area of extreme poverty, literally born on a banana plantation. And when we first met him, he had all these ideas, but he said, you know, like for $10,000, I could build a small farm. And that, that was our first investment. And then we built the farm and then we built um, additional grain mills so he could process his own food. And that was at 100000 And he was running multiple. There's always something you can do that's very small, yet impactful, that can show impact. Usually for people in, this, in developed nations like in the States or in Europe, 
you probably have to raise your own money for it and get friends and family around, but you have to figure out what's the smallest thing you can do that's the cheapest that can show some sort of impact, but you have to do it. You don't have to wait. I think the biggest mistake I've seen that coach people on it now is they wait until like, oh, it's not ready. It's not finished. Like, well, it will never be ready. It'll never be ready. Just read uh, Hoffman of LinkedIn's always said it best to me. is like, if you're not embarrassed by your first version of your work, you've waited too long. And I think that's true. Like the first, the organization was Groundwork Opportunities or Go. Our first idea, our first logo, our first website were all awful. But it was something that we put out on the web. It was something that we went out to do and it had an impact. We learned from it and we iterated. That's so helpful. And it's helpful for me personally to hear as this is so new to me. First time creating a podcast and a small business and website and all that. So for anybody who has feedback, I'll take it. But uh, it's a good reminder that it's better to just start something than wait. And your book truly did motivate me, Bart. When I was listening to your book a few months ago, I started dreaming about this podcast concept and saying, well, I just, I have to just get started. I was thinking on it, thinking on it, thinking on it. I think I talked to you about it months ago even. Yeah, and now it's, it's just, you have to just go for it. You have to just try. Something I also learned from your book, I think it was in the very last chapter even, it was defining your own personal mission, vision, and purpose. Was that in the last chapter? Yes. Can you, can you speak more to that? Like, what does that mean for those of us who haven't read the book yet? You went through a sequence to help frame an individual's mindset that can be, it was helpful for me as a person, but then also as a small business owner. And I think that those who are listening, they're either running companies, they're donors, they're founders, they're volunteers, they're program managers, whoever is listening, it applies to whatever work you're in, as well as your own personal way of being in the world. So can you walk us through the mission, vision, and purpose? Yeah. And I'll even tie it back to the co-parent because that wasn't known to me, but it was part of my vision, mission, and methods for this year. So I actually do this on an annual basis. I'll leave the one that's separate in the book because that was from a different time. But for this year, my vision and a vision to me, if you imagine it visually, is imagine a mountain and the vision is like the sky. It's unattainable, but worth striving for. The summit of the mountain is the mission. You can actually climb a mountain and reach that summit. So it has to be more tangible and specific. And then the methods are simply like the pathways up there. So for this year, I did this in December about a year ago today, and I wrote down the word clarity. That was my vision because at that time, I was coaching at a consulting company called Figure Eight, now All Cloud. It was acquired. I just had published the book. I started a new nonprofit, Mobile Pathways, that took off far faster than I ever expected. And four, I knew I was about to be a second time dad. And I didn't know where all of those things intersected. Some of them overlapped, some of them didn't. And I just wanted to fairly clarity of purpose. So the mission I wrote, which was almost what I said was to find my professional and personal reason of existence. And then I came up with a bunch of methods for that. And it was at that moment when I was walking at 3am where it just, mm -hmm. because I had written down that vision of clarity, I didn't know what was going to be the most important aspect. I decided to invest in family. Like it was that moment at 3am. It took a hike the next morning with Bay on my uh, chest, told Heather, I'm like, I'm going to set this stuff aside. I'm going to work part-time only. And it was, to me, it's like, I don't know if I would have reached that same decision if I didn't come up with that vision of clarity. 
I'm in the process of doing next year's. I have no idea what my vision and mission will be, but I'm excited to do it because it definitely helped bring a sense of balance. How will you do that? What's going to be the process of figuring it out? Do you do a lot of mindfulness and meditation or is it sketching thoughts? Yeah, scratching out. I actually do review it with another person. So I do have a mentor myself. We reviewed it at the six month mark. I actually came up with a specific metrics too, like for the book. It was like, I want this many reviews and this many mm. sold. The metrics for family became that graph you mentioned. Like I want to spend this many hours with family. I'm killing that by the way. Ah, good job. But the book sales have tanked, I'll be honest. Like huh. it had a really strong start. And then Yeah, they, you were like a top seller on Amazon. Yeah, I got to number two. And only like okay. I realized how hard it became to get number one. Huh. Um, total top. Who was number one? Day. He was a New York Times bestselling author and uh, works for the New York Times. Um, oh my gosh, I mean, you're up against that. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, okay. He had a great, and his title of the book too was like, it was called Winners Take All. Oh, like, yeah. How yep. fitting you're number one. Anyway, <laughs> and that's fine because it's still happening and it just became the metrics much more important to me where the family mobile pathways then became also much bigger uh, mm-hmm. because that just started to grow so quickly. And essentially when I, I reviewed that at the June, July timeframe, and now I'm ready to come up with a new one. Perhaps you could be the mentor this year. Every year I pick somebody different. It's oh, just, I would be honored. Of course I'll help. All right. Well, let's do it. Actually, Done. so basically, it matters that somebody kind of understands who you are. Yeah. You need that person so you have a check-in point because there's that peer pressure element. Of like, mm, man, of that accountability. Yeah. Okay. And you yes. Honest no, keep going. So walk us through that. Like, what does it even look like? So you've got, here I'm getting a job opportunity at the moment. I know it's pro bono, but you know, what does that look like for anybody who's listening? How do they set this up? So it sounds like you just sort of laid it out. You find somebody who knows you and believes in you and you create some kind of check-in to keep you accountable. But is it once a year? You said midway or we have, you know, to, write, we have to write down work? the vision, right? Okay. I, I literally, I do a Google slides, right? And sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a phrase. I think at the time of the, when I wrote the book, when Go is still active, it was to improve people's well-being globally. And that was the vision at the time, which is audacious and impossible, but it's still worth striving for, for sure. It's anybody that, like yourself, the spouse's community. And then there was a specific mission at the time, which was to become an author. At the time, we started figuring that org uh, to grow that into a million-dollar organization. Mobile Pathways didn't exist even at that time. And become a father. And that was my mission back then. And so you have to write down that vision and that mission. And then you review that with somebody. Uh, so somebody can tell you like, okay, well, maybe you should consider doing this or that. Mm. So it's more about, and it's in detail in the book about the processes to do it. I just do it first with just paper and pen, and then I put it on Google Slides and I share it. I'll share mine with you after one, the sure. one from last year. Yeah, and anything that you want to share with the community, I'd love to post it for you. I mean, we'll definitely be posting about your the book and Mobile Pathways, but also, if you do feel inclined to share, I know a lot of this is on your blog, yeah, probably. I'll give you the PDF file. I'm yeah, sure. Transparent. I'll give you the PDF of uh, the three slides. There's the vision, the mission, and then four uh, specific methods. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that people are all looking for really applicable and tangible ways to achieve these types of heady concepts. 
you know, I really want to talk to you about some of your impact work, but honestly, this conversation about how you get things done seems to be equally important. For me in particular, I am such a creative thinker and big picture thinker that I always benefit from linear thinkers like you who sequence out, you know, take this step and this step and, and then you can actually fulfill your dreams as they. Yeah. yeah, well, you still need that like big picture. I mean, I think one of the methods this year was maybe I can get it without making this too distracting, but I actually want to see what I wrote down for Mobile Pathways. Uh, I think we wanted to raise a quarter million dollars in our first year. Well, I actually uh, wanted to talk about that too. Um, you've got an incredible story about a mega six figure gift from a mega influencer. And <laughs> still made anonymous for this for any public purposes, but yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Well, maybe we can just talk about... Well, we can definitely talk about the organization and that aspect of it. Okay. Well, let's do it. And let's talk about you know being at the right place at the right time. And how do you actually cultivate a relationship? Because I think that's key to your work and some of the work that you cited me in kindly around making me ask and how do you make a solicitation. I think that's really interesting for folks. You know, I'm, I'm a professional fundraising advisor and counselor. But you know, I'd love to hear your perspective and the way you frame cultivating donors and then actually figuring out when the time is right to make a solicitation and then how to steward them. Uh, looks like you may have found what you were looking for, though. So I can okay. hold that thought and we can circle back. No, no, no. I think I can weave it into it, which is essentially okay. I'm just trying to see like how much I am the co-founder of Mobile Pathways and act as development director. And the goal we set out was to raise a net new 150,000. Mm. So now it's end of the year, right? It's December. So we're going through the smaller gifts of 500 to $2,000. Let me give a quick background of Mobile Pathways and then I'll keep it anonymous. Okay. And the trajectory of it would still give it relevant content. So two years ago was coaching at this consulting company at that time called Figure 8 and started the nonprofit arm of figure8.org, which was providing nonprofits consultation on how to use Salesforce. And one of our clients, Jeff O'Brien, had a law firm working with immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. And we did a lot of services for his law firm that helped him greatly increase his caseload. Because if you're in helping asylum seekers and refugees, you're low bono at best, right? So it's all about efficiency, mm. especially during the Trump administration, which has become just so unfair to that populace. But there's only so much you can do with an one organization. So he kind of knew my background. He's like, have you ever considered maybe doing another nonprofit? Because there's only so much we can do. It's just my law firm. What if we shared this technology we built with thousands of law firms and nonprofit-based, immigration-based nonprofits? And I thought, let's do it. It just seemed the right time. I'm an immigrant myself. I was very upset with what was happening at the political level. Uh, the family separations were beginning at that point. And I just knew how powerful it was for me as an, an immigrant to this country of legal support. So the premise of the organization and its mission is to provide vetted legal information to refugees, asylum seekers, and immigrants. So first year, year and a half ago, I was like, we'll raise $50,000 in San Francisco. It's tech, sexy, but helpful. It's the Trump administration. People are pissed off. And that was just friends and family, kind of 50000 mm -hmm. And there was a very prominent entrepreneur that made a gift to an organization that got rejected. And it was rejected because that person's company worked with Border Patrol. And I thought that was kind of stupid because I was like, every country needs Border Patrol. You know, ICE may be different, right? But Border Patrol, you go to Uganda, you go to Malaysia, you go to England. 
somebody checks your passport at the border. And that's ego. When you're at the entrepreneur and I raise funds from entrepreneurs and celebrity, never underestimate the power of ego. We sent an email immediately to that individual that day. And he responded in like five minutes, like, I'll give you $250,000. We were like, whoa. <laughs> and it was that fast. It was, I was actually at the dentist and, and my phone rang 22 times. My dentist was like, are you sure you don't want to get that? I, like, I think I know what this is. And I just want to hold this moment for just a bit. For me, that solicitation question, especially when it comes for major donors, yeah. what I learned there, because it did feel, and it probably was a one in a million kind of email. The lesson I learned there was never underestimate the power of ego. And I've seen that before, especially in celebrity fundraising. But there's an aspect of when you get to be titans of industry or titans of cinema or titans of music, your ego is so big that when it gets hurt, there's an element for being able to present an opportunity for them to do good with that. And we essentially leverage that and things just took off like a rocket ship. That's awesome. So you gave it a place to go and so that the, you could shape shift ultimately you shape shifted mm -hmm. that experience for that donor. And you know, what I love about that story is that the idea it's not a zero sum game and that everybody has a stake. And if you don't ask, then somebody else will. And yes. so just to get in there, be prompt, like you said earlier, haste makes waste and just see what happens. And just give it a try. And he won an insane gift that really launched you into another level and created a much more established and well-funded organization in the early days that and you've been able to build off. You know, it's very well. Giving is emotional. And it's when it's, 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 emotional. it's best when it's emotional. Mm. And there was an element of that, of the rapid response where, because this gift was publicly rejected and then there was mm -hmm. From us, follow up like if if they don't want that, we can put it to use for the exact same purpose to help refugees and asylum seekers and, and put an end to this crisis that's happening on our borders and the family separations, or at least make a legal playing field for it. And it was a very emotionally written email. It yeah. didn't stick to logic. It was an emotional plea because the rejection, which I think was unfair, especially because it was done publicly, which yeah. had a negative emotional reaction. It's, it's a huge aspect of why I think that one in a million solicitation actually was successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you shot for the moon and you landed right on it. Yeah. Speaking of fundraising, when we spoke via email, you were sort of thinking about what, you, what you're thinking about now, what we might talk about, and the 2020 budget coming up. And you had talked about moving solicitations from the proposal stage to the committed phase. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Is there, are there any tricks or strategies rather than tricks that you're using these days to close end of your yeah. meeting and create commitments? It's, it's definitely strategies. Because I think one of the downsides of getting a gift like that is not everyone involved with the organization was, some people are new to the nonprofit space. like, oh, this easy. I'm like, it's never this easy. <laughs> you know, because we had even some of our board members that are fundraising for us are like, trust me, it'll never be this easy again. And if it is, you know, great, but you can't plan for that. So it's end of year. The focus is on small major gifts, you know, 500 to maybe $5,000. And what we were a little bit late, but we're catching them pretty quickly because it is already the biggest time of the, the year for small gifts is to have a roadmap ready. 
And so we have six, we think, awesome programs. Some are technology-based. A big component of mobile pathways is to use text messaging uh, to provide bit-sized pieces of legal information to refugees, asylum seekers. Because the one thing they all have, whether they're coming from Mexico, Guatemala, Ethiopia, Venezuela, and they're all appearing on the Mexican border now, given the change in the laws, they all have a cell phone. They may not have an email address, and quite a few don't, but we can get them little bits of information via text. So we have a, four out of the six programs for next year are all focused on tech. So we have some individuals that are interested. We have some very large tech companies that are interested. Hmm. But then two of them are more uh, humanitarian-based because not every funder is interested in tech. Yes, we're Bay Area, so that's usually a wide pool to select from. So I have a couple of these phone calls this week, and I have my roadmap ready, and I'll present that. If you were that person, like Lindsay, we have six amazing things. I know you're probably more interested in the text. I'm going to speak to one one through four and tell them what the focus is, what the impact will be. Also very important, a lot of this is already most partially funded, right? A lot of donors to me, I find it really hard to say, like, we have nothing raised for this program. Would you like to be the first? That's usually... Actually, I'm curious. Do you think that, that, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I like to show something's partially funded before I show it to a major donor. Well, I love that question. I think that it depends on what type of donor you're talking to. So I love to study donor motivations, as you know. And there are a few donors who love to be pioneers. And, you know, if you look at the tech cycle, you know, early adopters. And if they can get some kind of, benefit from that by either being an early thought partner is a huge benefit to a lot of philanthropists because they want to have an influence. And so they can put their money to a program that then they can help to fund. What you have to watch out for then is that they think that they are then responsible and a co-owner of it. So you need to make sure that you frame it, that you would be the premier partner here. And I want your thought leadership and I'll provide you updates every six months or whatever it may be so that it's um, keeping the structure of who's in charge so that you can continue to manage your organization as you know it best. But then is there a recognition opportunity? So it's thought partnership, which people like, they want to be able to be useful. Mm-hmm. And then the second is, is there a recognition opportunity that might be important to them in their community? So is it that they can be highlighted and called out in future material? So it could say, I might be soliciting your wife, Heather, and say, hey, Heather, I want you to know that this is a brand new program, but BART is the initial partner and sponsor of it. So then BART, you get recognition and Heather then feels compelled because she knows and trusts that you're supporting it already. So there's a way to create an ecosystem of social influence that can be really powerful if there's a person who wants to be seen as a leader. So I would think about that a lot with tech and corporations and people who are influencers or aspiring to be greater influencers, those are the people that you talk to about early funding or first-time funding. And then others, to your point, yes, other individuals who are more motivated by impact or mission or other motivators that we can discuss at another time, they might want to see that there's already buy-in and say, oh, you've already made progress. That means it's been vetted by others. It's a winning initiative. I'm not going to be the sole person responsible for it making or breaking. I'm going to be a contributor, but this is not like all on my shoulders. So you have to just think about who, what kind of personality, going back to ego or motivation, what's the personality there? First of all, I love the idea of pioneer funder. I mean, I wrote that down for myself. It's just as a reminder, 
it's provide a little bit more color where my mindset is right now. The programs for next year are starting the fifty thousand and go up to the three hundred and fifty thousand dollar level. At a thousand dollar donor, you can't really. They don't want to be the first person. Yeah, yeah that, that's just Agreed. too small. That being said, January is we have teed up a few um, prospects that are in that level that can give at the twenty five to seventy five thousand dollar range, and I love the idea and we'll present that of like we have a pioneer already. Salesforce is one of our biggest pioneer funders. We already have a pioneer investment from Salesforce here. Would you like to match that? Yes. And I think my overall point is like, when I don't know, working with the director of social impact or sometimes even the CEO, like, don't know where they're steering, I'll give them options. Yeah. And at three different levels, right? You yes. could be a pioneer of this highest level. You can join and match what Salesforce gave at this level, or you can. Here are some three other very impactful, like we're new, uh, we haven't worked with each other before. Why don't we give you a, a sample of what we can do with a $25,000 investment to launch X? Yeah, there's so much there that I want to respond to. I mean, first, I would say that the concept of how to go about a fundraising strategy has, has always been to start big and to get the biggest gifts first and then work your way down. So I like what you're saying in terms of your table of gifts, if you will. You can move the needle faster and influence others who have lower capacity or they're newer to the relationship and they will be inspired because they see other influencers or other backers essentially. So that's the first point is start big and then go small. So starting with a silent phase, even if it's not a major capital campaign, it's just your annual giving or starting a new program. Start with a few early conversations that would really establish and put some, mm -hmm. some weight into the program and then get other people to give at lower levels that can help to fill in and close the gap. So that's one thought and comment I had. The other one is that in my experience, I always say make one specific solicitation. But I want to say that I think that that's only relevant in certain cases. So if you're talking to an individual that you know really well and you have the perfect concept that you know that they are excited about, I would say go in and say, Bart, would you consider supporting this organization or this program at X dollars for this reason and to activate it today and to continue funding it over the next three years at the same level? That's the typical solicitation phrase that I would use. Yes. However, I love what you're talking about in terms of having a menu or roadmap of opportunities to engage, especially with a new partner. Exactly. When you don't know, I agree with what you said. I'm thinking more about the organizations or individuals where there's which is often the case is and you just don't know exactly where they may be thinking right uh, especially an example i'm thinking of that i need to keep a, a bit of anonymous that we're in late stage for is a new giving program implemented by a company where they don't even have uh guides okay grant making bodies have guidelines right like our first gift is this much or, you know, and it's over two years, et cetera. But sometimes you walk into situations, especially new money, people that sell their company and all of a sudden, like, I'm going to start a foundation. And they don't, may not have, they have like one person running their foundation that's relatively new and they don't have guidelines. So it's like, to them, I would like to present options because they're figuring it out while you're presenting what you would like to do. Yeah. So I think that in my world, I know, and I learned through Go. I was very good at starting and launching something, wasn't great at managing it. I have a much bigger, stronger entrepreneurial mindset. 
And in that regard, because I do start these organizations from very, very little, I become a, what I call a very good deer hunter, mm-hmm. not that great of a whale hunter. Deer to me are gifts that are in twenty-five to $300,000. I'm very, very good at those gifts. Uh, whales, I'm okay at. I've landed a few whales. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's perpetual scale. But the six-figure million to $25 million, that's not usually in my time frame. And at that stage, as you all know, it's a team. That is a team of people creating materials and working on it. So I think more in that aspect of like, how do I land? And that's really what we're focused on mobile pathways next year is like hunting deer, uh, $25,000 to $150,000 gifts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the big whales want to see that you have many deer. So they want to say, you know, hey, is this just another idea? You know, a thousands and thousands of ideas are presented in a month probably or in a year to these mega philanthropists, right? So it's, it's, they need to block and tackle too what actually has legs. Yeah. There was a board member that asked like, we should ask for a $2 million gift next year. I'm like, no, we should not. We <laughs> went from $0 to a $250,000 budget in the course of a year. I think that the right goal for me is a 600,000. We go from zero to 250 to 600. Yeah. And you ask for the $2 million. Like you don't go from 250 to 2 million. Not unless you're like a unicorn, like charity water, right? Scott, yeah. zero to a million like that because of yeah. your yes. <laughs> That's very rare. It's awesome. Yeah. And I'm not saying no. I'm just saying if you put all your resources into fishing for $2 million gifts, you're going to starve on that boat. Yeah, you might. And, you know, they might think it's a little foolish, you know, that big donor might think, gosh, you know, like, let's see some more measured thinking here. Let's see that this has legs and that you are able to prove impact and that you're able to get enough people in the community to support this and that I'm not going to be your sole feeder. You know, no, no philanthropist ever wants to feel like the only one. They may still want to be the pioneer or the leader or the champion, but nobody wants to feel like it's the only thing unless it's their own foundation. And at which case, time and time again, I see that the, they continue to want to open that into a bigger pie. Yeah. So um, I have the roadmap. I'm a huge fan of one pagers. Like, get yeah. everything. It's hard to do. It's easy to say, yeah. get everything down on one piece of paper. So that roadmap, which we literally finished this morning, starting to start soliciting starting tomorrow, is here are your six things. And so there are things that are completely unfunded. That's okay. And there are some things that are funded. Uh, So you see there are like certain aspects where you could find a pioneer or somebody like, actually, I would be interested. Yeah. My gut says, especially then these people for, which are amazing and hugely supportive and are going to make a huge impact, even though they are individuals that can give at the 500 to $5,000 level. I just don't see them being pioneers, Mm -hmm. Um, but they can see all the options. Because they also work for a company that could be a pioneer. Okay. Like, I'll give you a $1,000 gift. Let me also introduce you to a director of social impact. And that's actually a really effective method towards whale uh, hunting. Yeah, absolutely. But I'd be happy to share it after that. Because there are a few things that are, um, we're really excited about. But we, it's that Steve Jobs element of, oh, and one more thing. <laughs> So right now, uh, that being said, if any of your listeners are interested in making a significant gift to help refugees and asylum seekers get a level playing field, yes, you can see it. And you yes, can it. there you go. It's just not for sharing uh, publicly. That's right. You want to keep it personal and unveil it personally. Yeah. 
So I think that's a good idea. And then over time, as you shift into a new gear or a new platform, then the old material can be shared. So um, that's certainly fair. I know we're right at time. I have two things I usually ask my guests. And one is, is there a shout out to any human or organization or uh, concept that they want to share that just put into the universe as creating community to spread the love? And then the two is what's the best way to reach you. It'll all be in the show notes, but just in case people are only listening rather than reading the show notes, I like to say it out loud. I think reach is heartsgroupa.com. It's a way to get yeah, in touch with me. As for an organization or an individual, this is going to be an odd one. I'm just, this was so recent to me on, on uh, Giving Tuesday. I was actually surprised Facebook decided to donate seven million dollars worth of donations yesterday, mm. and I'm saying this because I want them to double that. So, if anyone didn't know, Facebook gave away seven million dollars yesterday, and that was gone in like five minutes. We had people ready to fundraise. I woke up at six a.m. to make my donation. Formal athletes, I knew Facebook would double it by six a.m. It was already gone. <laughs> I think it was like. Black Friday kind of mentality, like you have to be there. They will match up to $20,000 per person. That's huge. That's huge. That's actually a really big, like no company matches at that level. Like Microsoft, very few, sorry. Yeah. Microsoft, Chevron, very few companies are would match an individual 25000 or more. Facebook said we'll match anybody around the world, we'll match up to $20,000 per individual. Obviously, there's probably a lot of guilt from their company. I do think they have an inspiring vision of trying to create a more interconnected world. In this time as an immigrant watching, you know, my family grow uh, across seas, I'm thankful for their technology. I wish they wouldn't sell it for data, but that's the world we live in. But I do have to say, I was impressed that they decided to match anybody's gift up to $7 million. And my plea to Facebook is double that next year or triple it because it was gone in like five minutes. I love it. One last note on that, that empowered so many of friends, family members. I was, I donated a good amount yesterday of little gifts, even though I knew it by 6am, I couldn't get it matched. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the Giving Tuesday movement. I'm thankful that Facebook decided to step up and say, you know what, lose my $7 million. I don't care who gives it. Yeah. And it's the second year they've done that, actually. They did it last year too. Yes, true. And just so, um, you know, the Listeners know this is not live, so it's probably going to be uh, launched a few days after Giving Tuesday, but Giving Tuesday is the first Tuesday after Thanksgiving every year. And I think you're right, Bart, that it has really mobilized a lot of donors to give and give early so it doesn't get forgotten later in the day because of that early timestamp. But matching gifts, I mean, it's a great example of how matching gifts can compel organizations or individuals to give. And that can be, that tactic can be used on Giving Tuesday, that can be used at events, it can be used at one-on-one solicitations, but a matching gift is always compelling. Yeah. And Facebook allowed it for the entire community. I mean, companies will match, but that's only for their employees. I can't think of another company in the world that said, I'll just match anybody that makes a donation through my platform. Yeah. You can't do that on Reddit or Twitter or LinkedIn. Like what if companies did not? There's a call to action. It is, but like I have to give them credit. As much as I'm very skeptical about how Facebook's business practice works, I have to say no other platform has offered something like that ever, to my knowledge. And I don't know if you can think of one off that brand. No, I I think that is the modern day example of a pioneer in doing something that is compelling others to give, giving themselves and compelling others to give. 
right. Uh, thank you very much for the time, Lindsay. I know you have to go back to your uh, co-parenting. Yes, Bay is probably up by now. She's up. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Bart. I really respect and value you so, so deeply. And I'm thank grateful you. that you're a part of my early cohort podcast. Yes. Thank you very much. It was an honor to be here. And thank you for a rather humbling and the introduction is going to make me give me some pause this afternoon in a good way. Good. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Bart. Have a good day. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.